Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Same As It Ever Was, where we literally don't know what we're going to talk about. What's up, brother? What's up, brother? What's going on there, bud? Hey. Hey, happy uh, Memorial Day. I know that some people, you know, really poo-poo that phrase, but indeed, I will say happy Memorial Day uh, from, uh, from, from Jimbo with the EAU and my, my, uh, my, my counterpart here on the, uh, the Everlasting Podcast, JB. The Everlasting, yeah. You know, um... I'm outside in front of the grill right now. Ah, nice. Um, hot dogs and pulled pork. Nah. And uh, we have uh, Joaquin and I, my oldest son. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's in a he's a life scout going for his Eagle Scout. And nice. He plays trumpet, and we just went to the base and went to the base memorials, and he played taps at fifteen hundred. Dude, that is so awesome! Congratulations, man. That's awesome. So he did, he did, he did a really good job, man. It's his first time, you know, he, he's only been in band. It is exactly a year since he picked up the trumpet. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And he, he went through a marching band season. Yep. He, and concert band. And then, you know, I mean, taps is just, you know, it's not that difficult to play. Um, but you know there were people at, that that there's we have this thing called the Heroes Trail. There were people at the Heroes Trail, yep, uh, that stopped and observed taps while he was playing. So, and in our base, there's the Heroes Trail, which is everyone that has passed in the line of duty since 9/11. Mm-hmm. There's the Baton Death March uh, Memorial. There's the Pearl Harbor Memorial. There's the Riverine, yep, Memorial. And then uh, we went to the uh, uh, Stetham, who was a CB in the TWA flight in the 80s, the Beirut whole thing. Oh, like, yeah, yep. Yeah, I remember. Yep. So we went to his um, memorial as well. So that's pretty cool that they have that over there. You know, I mean, our, everybody, anybody who was around back when that happens got to remember, you know, but, uh, like I say, it's pretty cool that they actually have a pretty cool that they actually have a memorial for him. I mean, he didn't die in, in you know in combat or something, but it was absolutely ridiculous the way that he lost his life. Yeah, um, and you know, and and I was on the way over there to his memorial spot. I was explaining to Joaquin a little bit. I gave him you know a little bit of what happened, and yeah, you know, he was like, "Wow," I'm like, "I know," you know. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's kind of crazy how, uh, you know, since since 9-11, um, especially for kids of his generation that have grown up in the shadow of 9-11 and its aftermath, you know, they have they have no they have no perspective of, you know, what terrorism used to be around the world. Um no, they they get a little bit of taste, like you know, when you watch the old school movies, you know, like that we grew up with, like, uh, well, not even, not even like, even the funny one, like Spies Like Us, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. was cold. That's Cold War. Stuff. That's Cold War stuff. I mean, and maybe True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe, maybe. I just, you know, I think about, you know, when I say, you know, when I say that they have no perspective of what terrorism used to be, I just, I really mean. Um, you know, that things like these, you know, when, when they, when, when you really think about or try to, you know, you would have to really probably explain to somebody who was under the age of 20 today, what a hijacking was. Yeah. And, you know, you and I grew up in a time when that stuff was happening all the time. I mean, these, these organizations like Islamic Jihad and, um, Hamas and all these other groups, the PLO. I mean, that's just what they did there. Aside from blowing up Marine barracks in Beirut, um, you know, their, their primary mode of 
terrorism was, you know, to hijack these planes around the world full of people and have them diverted to some far off place and demand money or the release of prisoners or whatever in response, you know, in order to, uh, you know, get these hostages freed. Did you do you remember? I know this happened really before you and I were either around or old enough, but um, the uh, the Israeli raid on Entebbe. Do you remember that? No. That um, they actually made a movie about it. And it was, I think, Entebbe, I believe, was in Kenya. Um, These Islamic terrorists had, uh, they had hijacked a plane and um, they had hijacked a plane and they had had it, uh, they had had it um, diverted to, I believe it was Kenya. And uh, there were all of these Israelis. I don't remember what flight, what kind of, what airline it was. Uh, but there were all these Israelis, these Jews that were on the plane. And the, host, the, the hijackers had everyone removed off of the plane and put inside the terminal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, you know this as well as I do, man. The Israelis don't play. They do not mess around. And, you know, I guess that's what happens when, you know, you have six million of your people systematically exterminated. You know, you get to the point where you just say, no one's ever doing that to us again. And yeah, yeah. they uh, they sent in the Israelis surrounded the place and sent in these Israeli commandos. They just went in this place. And I mean, a bunch of the people that were hostages were killed and they were like, well, that's collateral damage. Because they whacked all of these guys that had hijacked this plane, and that was the, Israel's way of just being like, "You're not, you're not hijacking and, and uh, hijacking Israelis and and holding them for ransom or something." It was the movie was pretty intense. It was an older film, but I mean, the fact that it was a real event that happened, it was just wild. Um, so anyway, so, yeah. Do you do you guys have any? Um... Memorial Day traditions at all? You know, the, the, um, Jennifer and I were talking about that today. I mean, our weekend hasn't really felt Memorial Day ish. Uh, I mean, she ended up having to work yesterday. And so that was like a day that was right in the middle of the weekend that was just sort of like, I mean, I really ended up in a position where I think it was like Saturday. I was all day Saturday. I felt like it was Sunday. And it was purely because I knew that she had to work. Um, and then, like I say, she ended up working and then we had today. And I think that one of the hard things about, you know, for you and I, because of what we've done for a living, uh, being in military music, Memorial Day is traditionally one of those days that you're going to work. Yeah. I mean, it's either going to be a parade or it's going to be a, a service of some kind at one of the national cemeteries or something of that nature, um, which, I mean, again, it's not just Memorial Day, but it's pretty much any of the national holidays. You know, people want music. They want that entertainment factor with whatever it is that they're memorializing or they're celebrating or what have you. Um, so this, this was kind of weird this year. I mean, when, when I was at the schoolhouse teaching, obviously we didn't have to work on Memorial Days, you know, because we weren't performing with units. Um, but like I say, I don't think that we've had time enough away from the military music thing to really sort of establish traditions of any kind. Um, yeah, I know that we have family that, you know, they have camps up north and there's the, you know, that's sort of what they'll do is they'll Memorial Day weekend comes and they'll travel up north with their grandkids or whatever and, uh, you know, celebrate the holiday weekend with them up there. Um but I think it probably won't be until next year. I think a big part of it for us is going to be finally finding ourselves in a position where we, when we finally are in, we have our own house um, and we have that type of space where we can invite people to come over and do those types of traditional things that maybe we'll start to be able to establish some real Memorial Day traditions. But I mean, beyond just grilling out or something, no, I mean, nothing really you know, routine or, or sort of, uh, traditional in any way. What about you? Uh, well, we always start off the weekend with watching, uh, 
Band of Brothers. Ah, yeah. And so we just finished those those ten episodes. Yep. We just finished that, and you know, like uh, it, that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Just because, like when I was in um, in Italy, uh, I would happen to be there during the the sixtieth anniversary of the landing of D Day. Right. Uh, so went went to Normandy, and then it was just we followed. We went to Market Garden in in. Uh, yeah, we went to Market Garden and then Bastogne. And the, the the really thing, like, I will never, ever forget this, is that the guys from Easy Company mm-hmm. were all there. Oh, that's pretty awesome. The ones that were alive. Sure. They, they were there. Yeah. Um, and so every stop, because that's where they went. And, you know, every time I watch it, I, I think my, my kids are always like, on, just like, yeah, we know, Dad, we know, you know. But when when there's certain scenes like, yeah, I was there, I tell them, I'm like, could you imagine like they have words, the Battle of the Bulge happened in Bestone. Yeah. And I was like, I tell what I told this to Joaquin yesterday. I was like, I had full Under Armour cold weather gear. Oh, yeah. I had insulated like almost like one three millimeter socks. Um, gloves, then my uniform. Right. Then, you know, scarf, earmuffs, and then my our overcoat that's lined. Right. And I was still freezing cold. Oh, yeah. And it was 10 degrees when we played the ceremony. It's one of those ceremonies where uh, as soon as you blow into your horn, the it refreezes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we could barely play. Yeah. But... And I'm like, yeah. And, and then while this episode is going on, I'm, I'm telling Joaquin's like, look, they don't have that. You know what I mean? They don't have that crap. You know, they, they were lucky to have two, oh, yeah. two pairs of socks. No, I know. Yeah, it's the uh, it's it's sort of the equivalent of uh, for the Marines when you, uh, you know, knowing like your Marine Corps history, it's the same thing as the, you know, the guys who were fighting in the frozen chosen and the chosen reservoir during the Korean War. I mean, it's just absolutely when you hear these accounts of the conditions that they were fighting in and just unreal. I, 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 the, the incredible thing, because I've seen some documentaries about it. I mean, I've been to Korea before. Um, and I tell you, I think that one of the weird things, I think a lot of people think of Korea as being sort of like. I know I always did. For some reason in my mind, I always thought like that Korea was sort of like Japan, that it was sort of tropical in some way. Cause you can, you think of like, Oh, it's a Pacific, you know, Pacific Rim. Oh, you know, it's, you know, tropical, whatever. And Korea is not like that. I mean, it is, Korea is actually a lot like Maine. It really is. Um, when I went there in the fall, I went there a few, a few years in a row and ended up going there in the fall to celebrate the Marine Corps birthday with Marine forces, Korea, and of course, that's in November, and we would go over there. And I remember that would being one of the r- first really shocking things was how cold it was. I was like, "Wow, man!" And all of a sudden, I'm like I'm looking out my hotel window, whatever, where we're staying, and it's all the leaves are all changing. It's all like autumn, and the foliage is changing. I'm thinking, dude, this could be any place in the state of Maine right now. Yeah, we're in New New England or something. Um, but yeah, you you hear these accounts not just of the conditions that the Marines at the at the Chosen Reservoir and and the other U.S. forces were enduring, but the conditions that you know that the the Chinese who had invaded the northern part of Korea were subjecting their troops to was absolutely inhumane. I mean, they they were sending. The, you know the Chinese, the, the the Chinese communists. I mean, they were sending their communist Chinese forces forward into into the northern part of Korea in the middle of winter, and some of them didn't even have boots. I mean, they're literally just some of the video footage, man, is is gnarly. You see these Chinese soldiers who are just have been abandoned, and their feet are just like cauliflower or something. Wow. They're just completely frostbitten. And just left there, like unreal, unreal conditions. I know what you're saying. It's you definitely get I, that was kind of like uh, I was in Guadalcanal for I think it was the 60th 
uh, or the 65th anniversary of the Battle of Guadalcanal. Um, and there were a couple guys, like you're saying, who were actually Marines that had fought in the battle there, who had come back to commemorate it and everything. Um, you know, April's, and it was, April's grandfather uh, was a Marine. He joined at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fought in Guadalcanal. It's just, and, when you... Yeah. And so then, when that was over, and then the ships were ever to come in, they're like, hey, we need some people to come on the ships. You know, we need... And so he was like, I'll go. Yeah. And now, they said, now you're in the Navy. Oh, really? Yes. Now you're in the Navy. <laughs> and then guess okay. where he went? To be in the Battle of Midway. Oh, my God. And survive that. That's crazy. That's just crazy. Yeah, like I, I, like I say, man, you know, when you go to Guadalcanal and you see, you know, the, the jungle, you read these accounts of these battles just like Guadalcanal or New Britain or whatever down in the South Pacific. It's just you can't even imagine. I mean, conditions where your, your conditions where your uniform is literally just rotting off of you. Because of these ridiculous conditions of the jungle, everything is so wet all the time that the material that they made the uniforms out of would just fall apart. And these guys come walking; these Marines come walking out of the jungle. Man, they look like they—they look like they've been marooned there. I mean, the Marines at the Marines at Guadalcanal were actually marooned, you know, when the Navy was like, "We got to roll, see ya." Okay, bye. <laughs> it's like we got we got to go. You know, the Marines are like, "Wait a minute, you say what?" Um, but yeah, I mean, just it, it's pretty intense, man. When you and I have been very privileged uh, throughout our careers, and folks who do who have who have the privilege to do what we have done for years, um, we really it it is a privilege to be able to uh, spend part of your life interacting with these people who made that history, who were actually there, like you say, whether it's the Battle of the Bulge or. Korea, whatever conflict it was, you, know, you we read about these things, and you know it's like this thing that you it's it's in a history book, and then you meet these people, and you're like, holy mackerel, man! Like this is real. This is somebody who actually stared this stuff down when it was happening. It's just it's it, pretty awesome. It never it's pretty awesome. It never ceases ceases to amaze me their stories, you know. And once again, you know, I met a lot of the, the men who were on the USS Indianapolis because I was in a yep. band that, that played that and to hear their story. And I, oh, you know, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm here to tell you, man, you know, you hear the dude on Jaws, the worst shark, yeah. you know what I mean? You hear that Oh, uh, yeah, telling his story. Yeah. And you're like, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh, scary, yep. scary movie time. Yep. And then, and then it, you meet those guys, and they really tell you how it was. And you know that guy wasn't too far off. Nope, <laughs> nope. That's just that. That is literally a real life horror story. You know, real life horror story right there. But yeah, so uh, like I say, um, you know, th- I think that uh, it'll be nice once we, you know, maybe you know, we come around to next year, hopefully. Uh, you know, hopefully Wally and I'll have, uh, you know, be able to make some some more sort of traditional things out of the holiday. Um, it's the the weather here has been crazy because I I had commented on Facebook just the other day how crazy it was that it was it was snowing here on May 9th. And then about two days ago, three days ago, it was like 84 degrees. <laughs> so it's like, welcome to spring in the Northeast, man. You know, it lasts like a week. <laughs> you go Go from snow to sweltering heat. Yeah, and that's how it is. Blink of an eye. That's how it is in Chicago. Yeah, it's like what? Yep. Like where did it? Where, what happened? I I remember postings like Mother Nature, go home, you're drunk. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah. So, um, that's good though, man. That sounds like an incredible, uh, you know, incredible uh, experience for uh for Joaquin to be able to go and and uh you know perform in such a you know such a special capacity today um well and and to be able you know of the four times he did it you know he he's like yeah like 
I feel bad like a couple times he screwed it up. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, I just said, Hey, look, I go, you know, it's, I go, how many other people you see out here doing this? Right. Exactly. That's the first thing. And I said, number two, I go, you think all these people who were, who were remembering today, who, you know, you think that they, they came up to something that was, that was very difficult. And, right. and then they just powered through. I'm like, you got to power through son. Sure. Nope, that's exactly it. I mean, and I think that, you know, the, uh, it's that and the fact that the people that you're, the people that you're honoring, the people that you're celebrating today, you know, believe me, they don't care if you fracked a note. <laughs> you know, they're just happy that you're there honoring them. I mean, I know I would be. So, yeah, man. So it's, it was. You know, it was a good experience. He he totally understands, you know, and I, I asked him, I was like, why are we doing this? It's like, because all these people fought for our freedom. I'm like, yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, I mean, I, and then I, like, I'll tag on and fought for the freedom of other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's sort of the thing that you see all over, all over social media. I, mean, I know some people get really kind of crazy about it. Like I said at the top of the show. You know, you, you, some people get really edgy when they hear, you know, you know, ha- happy, happy Memorial Day. Well, you know, it's a date of remembrance. And, and I get that. I get that. But there, you know, the flip side to that is also that like yourself right now, you know, you're outside. You got the pulled pork going on. You're tending to the grill. You have, you know, having a beer, spending time with your family. You're doing those things because, you know, those men and women who gave up their ability to ever be able to do that again, did so, so that you could, you know, and I, I, and I think that any, I think that any one of those, any one of those, those men and women who, who sacrificed their lives would say, you know, get at it, <laughs> you know, get at the, get at the grill, man, and have one for me. Well, and you know, and that's the thing is like with any, holiday where we have the day off uh to me it's one of those things where we make sure as a family that we understand why we have that day off sure yeah you know so no absolutely and 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 you know we're april's uh family is part of the um what is it the sisters of the american revolution oh cool yes and one of the really cool things that i got to do when i was in chicago was that they they had asked for someone from the band to speak about military music. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I was like, well, I'll do it. And then I found out that John Philip Sousa, his wife was really active in that. Oh, that's cool. So I could tie it into their organization and then also speak right. to his, you know, in Chicago, his his contributions to Navy music. Uh, and how it relates to da- uh, daughters of the American Revolution. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's really cool that you. Know, it, it's something that we tell our kids about. Like, yeah, like this is this is how you gain membership into this because your mother on her father's side can trace. You know, and you have to have all that documentation. I was going to ask you about that. Like, how stringent is that whole thing? Oh yeah, you got to have documentation. Really, because it's it's very interesting. I mean, you you know, and many of our listeners know, particularly with the the veterans organizations and how some of them have really, in the past number of years, really found themselves in a position where they're struggling. Um, and you take something like the American Legion. Uh, well, I think the American it's national pride, man. Well, it is. I'm just saying that. I'm just yeah. saying that. You know, that it used to be. Um, it used to be that in order to get, you know, gain membership in, uh, these, uh, these veterans organizations, you know, you would have to show that you were a veteran and, and, you know, say for the, for the VFW, you wanted to be a, you wanted to join the veterans of foreign wars that you had to show somehow in your record that you had actually served overseas in a time of war or you had, had had served in a war in a combat zone or something of that nature, uh, which is a little bit more stringent than say something like the V like the, 
um, American Legion or AMVETS, which is really just as long as you're a veteran, you could you could be a member and so forth. But now a lot of these organizations have really had to sort of get creative with their membership and open it up to now, you know, sons of the American Legion. So even if you weren't a vet, as long as your, you know, your mother or father was a veteran, then you could join, um, which I think is great because obviously it means that it, it keeps these organizations going. Um, my grandfather was, uh, my grandfather was very, very, very active with the American Legion. Uh, my dad's or my mom's dad. And, uh, you know, she used to say to me, uh, you know, as a service member, when you think about all the benefits and you think about all the things that you're able to take advantage of once you leave the service, whether you leave after, uh, you know, three or four year stint or 20 plus years, uh, these benefits that we're able to enjoy are the result of the hard work that was done years and years ago by organizations like the American Legion, who acted as, you know, served as an advocate for American veterans uh, in the halls of Congress in order to secure things like the, you know, the originally, you know, the, the Montgomery GI bill or the post 11, you know, post nine 11, uh, you know, GI bill and, and all of that sort of thing, all these education benefits and, and the veterans administration and all those things were, those things were the, the, uh, you know, those things came from, from the hard work that these veterans organizations, uh, put in on behalf of all of us. Um, I think that that's something that a lot of young vets these days have a real hard time recognizing. I think they have a hard time making that connection and that uh, we really do sort of have a responsibility as veterans to, uh, and I know I sound like a, I know I, I know I sound like an ambulance commercial right now or something, but um, you know, it's, it's, it is the season. So, you know, I, I think that it's imperative that, that vets out there understand that, uh, you know, if we don't continue to do this hard work on behalf of tomorrow's veterans, uh, there's always a great possibility that those veterans years from now may not be able to enjoy the same um, the same kind of benefits that we do today. So, oh, and that's I, that's the thing. You know, there's a, a master chief friend of mine who is basically the enlisted aide to the master chief petty officer of the Navy, mm-hmm. and. He, he posted a very poignant um, uh, post today about, and it was a picture, a Memorial Day picture, a depiction of all these graves that had flags on them. Yeah. But, you know, it, it said suicide, 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 suicide. Oh, wow, yeah. You know what I mean? Because yep. a, a lot of times, you know, and this is one of the big things um, – that's at the end, the last, the last episode of, of Band of Brothers is that, you know, for those of the, us that survived, we have scars that no one can see that, you know, that will never, ever be told because I can't speak of them anymore or, you know, just right. what, what people go through in those situations, you know, I'll, I'll, I can't imagine. And then having to come home and then, you know, deal with the things that they have done in combat. Well, I think or it, it is, it's and- true. It's true. And I think that, a, I think that a large part of that is, um, I, I think, and this is just me. I, I, again, we're just two guys who don't know anything, talk about everything. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think a big part of that is the fact that, I think it, I, you know, the, the war with Korea, when we, when we were at war with Korea, um, that was the last time that the federal government actually ever implemented some sort of tax um, or means for the government to be able to fund that, um, you know, fund that military action um, so that it didn't have to spend money just out of the general uh, budget of the U.S. military or just the U.S. government at, at large, and so every every conflict that we've been involved with since Vietnam has the American people, by and large, unless you're friends with somebody who's forward deployed or 
you know, your family of someone who's forward deployed and so forth. A lot of people are very insulated from when these things happen. Um, They see it on TV and they may hear about it, whatever, but because they're not there and because they're, they don't know anybody who's, who's actually involved. It becomes, it, it becomes somebody else's war. And I think that that has a lot to do with, um, that ability to reassimilate when you come home, because I think that in World War II and Korea in particular, um, you had you had vets who came back home after these conflicts concluded, and because the people at home had had to sacrifice, you know, they had had to sacrifice in some way in order, you know, to, in order to claim victory. Uh, it, people had a greater appreciation for the sacrifice of those who had had to go and actually do the fighting. Um, I don't think that you really get that today. Um, I think there's a lot of folks, there's a, especially today, uh, we live, we, you, I know you and I talk about it all the time on this program. Uh, you know, talk about, you know, we live in this very technological world, um, this very virtual world uh, where everything is about screens and, and buttons and, and the internet and, and sharing information and all this stuff. Um, but you know, I mean, we've, we've, for all intents and purposes, we've been at war in, whether it's been in Iraq or Syria or Afghanistan or wherever for going on 20 years. And um, I would, I would, I would dare say that there's a large, there's a large portion of American society that has never really been directly impacted by anything that has happened on those fronts in the past 20, almost 20 years. Um, and I think that that's really difficult when you're one of these people who's over there, you know, enduring, enduring this and having these experiences and then to come back to a society which seems to be just rolling along singing a song as if nothing's even happened. That is very, very difficult to do. Um, and I think that it's very difficult. Uh, I mean, I can speak on my own behalf just as a, as a vet who's recently left the service and people told me for years, they're just like, Hey man, you know, making that transition is not easy. It's going to be tough. And I really was always sort of like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Oh man, I can't wait to get out. And then you get out and all of a sudden you realize, I mean, especially for me, um, and I, and I just say that with regard to everything that's been going on around the world in the past three, four months, um, you know, leaving the service as difficult as uh, enough as it is after you've sort of lived this lifestyle for 20 plus years. And then all of a sudden you're out in what we regard, what we regard as the ville. All of a sudden now you're out here in the ville and, uh, then the world shuts down and all of a sudden, everything that everyone has ever known as being some kind of normal has been turned on its head. I mean, leaving that lifestyle, leaving that culture that you've been so accustomed to for so long and stepping into what we've been enduring as a society over the past two, three months, I'm not, it's, it's been tough. It's been tough. There have been moments where I'm like, you know, I can just, you know, um, you know, I can, I can say that it's, it's been a challenge. Um, so I can only imagine if you're one of these guys who after all these years has come back from being overseas and dodging bullets with, you know, catching them with your teeth or whatever. And then all of a sudden now you find yourself in, uh, in podunk America. Um, you know, I always, it's the the John Rambo syndrome. And I was just going to say that. Jeremy, I was just going to say that it really is no joke. It really is no joke. It's like you think about that speech that that John Rambo gives at the end of First Blood when he's in that police station and he's talking to, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Troutman there. And he's saying to me, you know, and then I come back to the world and there's all these maggots at the airport calling me baby killer, you know. Over there, I used to be able to fly a gunship. I used to be able to handle million-dollar equipment. I come back here, and I can't even get a I can't even get a job parking cars. I mean, that's a that's a, that's a reality. I mean, I know that's a movie and everything, but for a lot of these guys who come back over here, 
that's reality, man. Yeah, they're, um, they're trained to do one thing, whatever yes. it was, to do that war thing. Yep, especially when it's one, of, especially when you're one of these guys who's been trained to pull triggers. Yeah, that's if you're an job. infantryman, right? Yep, there's there's very little opportunity to be able to take those job skills into the civilian workforce. You know, all of a sudden it's like, well, who am I now? I mean, this has you know all the stuff that I learned is just I've got to leave it on the roadside. Um, which I do have to say, I think is, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a huge fan of that movie, uh, First Blood. I think it's the best one out of that entire series. Uh, but I will say that one of the reasons that I really enjoy it so much is because way back in the 80s when that movie came out, I think that it was one of the first movies that came out of Hollywood that really spoke in very, in no uncertain terms about the struggle of Vietnam vets coming back to the U S after the war. Um, I think that was something that a lot of people across America had sort of chosen to turn a blind eye to. Uh, they, we, people knew that a lot of these vets were coming back over here and they were struggling and, but it was sort of like, well, it was an unjust war or whatever. And that movie was one of the very first films. I think that came out of Hollywood that addressed that uh, head on. And after that, it was almost like, wow, you know, there are people out here in our society who are carrying stuff like you're talking about. They're carrying baggage around with them that they feel like they can't share with anybody because, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, so heavy stuff, but uh, heavy stuff. Yeah, man. Um, but anyway. But true uh, nonetheless. So it is. It are is. we going to? Are we going to send out the text message of destiny? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you want to you go ahead and reach out to your choice, or you want me to reach out to mine? Or do you want uh, me to send you the, the info? Send me the info, and I'll... Uh... Okay, let me uh, get in here. Let me get in here. Um... Has he been, has he been fo- forewarned? Oh, yes. Yeah, just, just briefly. For those of you listening... I, I had to confirm his information just in case. Yeah, go ahead. For those of you who are for those who are listening, who are, who are we, new we listeners, only, we yes. only the forewarning is we may call you. Mm-hmm. We don't no, we that, don't say shit about anything else. Right. No, that's that's the uh, th- that's sort of the the sort of disclaimer uh, for for this feature in the show is what we refer to as the text message of destiny and uh, the text message of destiny is uh, if you're a listener and we have your contact information uh, any Monday or Thursday afternoon uh, after, after four o'clock or 1600, as some people say um, you might get a text message inviting you to be a special guest on our program here. So it has uh, been sent. And you got to be prepared. To, you got to be prepared to uh, to answer some questions. We should start. I should start keeping track of how who answers it the fastest. And because his last name is Fast, yes, I'm certainly hoping because I did mention this to him just before we got on the air here, um, and I said, "Hey, man, you know, keep your you know keep your head on a swivel because you might get an invite here." And uh, and it was right right when I was texting him, he was like, "Yeah, man, I've been listening to the show. It's really cool." So. Kind of hoping he'll jump on here. I love that um, uh, one of our previous guests, Nace Keo, yeah, has been keeping us honest with our with our uh, movie. Like, oh, what was that movie where the guy you know rips out the? Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. He was uh, when we were talking about we were talking about the uh, we were talking about the the movies that we remember from our childhood <laughs> and 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 we we decide that we're going to show these films to our kids and uh we decide we're going to show them to our kids and then when that happens all of a sudden you realize that it's a heck of a lot more racy than you remember it being and the example that he was sharing which i'm going to i'm going to put the uh video that he shared with us on our page but it was uh the stand up comedian talking about uh talking about um Back to the Future. And oh, that really one is heard, great. Oh, man. I mean, you, the guys, you, well, I'll share the video. It's hilarious. You know, it's one of those things where all of a sudden, like, you, you think about the concept of Back to the Future, and you start wondering, like, how in the hell did somebody actually convince a studio to make this a movie? 
you know. I mean, we all know it, and we think, oh, man, like, we revere it, and we're reminiscent, like, oh, man, it was awesome. You think, like, what did these guys say? <laughs> what, did, what did they say in the studio? And they're like, we got an idea for a movie, and this is what's going to happen. So, yeah, man, no. Um, pretty funny stuff. Pretty now, funny stuff. Oh, and I will tell you, I found a new guy that, that – he commentates on the Russian slap fighting, and it is the funniest shit you've ever heard. Oh yeah! Oh my god, he's he's perfect for this. He was built to commentate on Russian. Oh slap yeah, fighting. that's that, that's good. That's and, good, man. And uh, you know what, what was the other? Okay, so I have to do my. I'll do my weekly State of the Union on baseball cards. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, if you haven't gotten into baseball cards yet, you better hurry up. Uh, I don't think there's a hurry, but let's just say since Saturday, if, if you invested $20 in one card, uh, on the tops project 2020 yeah, at the very beginning, uh, that card is now past $2,500. Holy mackerel. Yep. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> um, so, so you found a retirement plan. So if you, oh, dude, I, I, it's more luck. I didn't know what the hell. I just like, I like the cards and the art. Really. Right. And now yeah. it's, now it's a thing. It's like, <laughs> you're like, I can finally send my kids to college. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it's one of the things you never know. Especially this fast, but little uh, today a card released today for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it's already selling at thirty four dollars on eBay, and and you don't you don't get the card instantly. You right. have to wait at least three to four weeks before you get the card. So these idiots, I mean, keep buying them. Don't worry, but these <laughs> idiots aren't buying from the site. So you're buying from a third party, right? That doesn't even have the product in hand. I don't understand that. I don't know, ma'am. That's crazy stuff. But yeah, that's crazy stuff. Like, it, that's just that's just one card. They're all doing that. Yeah, they're all doing that. Yeah, that's pretty wild, dude. So, so you know, I the this one artist has been very kind to myself and my oldest son, and so I'm gonna put a. A card up for auction. And this card for auction right now, well, a couple hours ago, uh, will sell for six hundred dollars. So I reached out. Okay. I reached out to the artist and I said, "Hey, um, give me a charity, and I'll donate fifty percent of whatever we get off this auction to whatever charity that you want, because you can do that through eBay." Okay. Um, you can set the percentage and all that stuff. So, uh-huh. you know, he's he's been super awesome. And, I, you know, this is a way of repaying the good karma and paying it forward. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, yeah. At some point, you've been you've been blessed with a bunch of things. And so you got to you got to you got to pay it back. You have to. Yeah, that is cool. That is very cool. man. So I'm still waiting to receive what. No, what, I know. I just what what it. it what charity he wants to donate to, and then, then I'll put it up. But I put a little spin on it, okay, to entice the art world. So we'll see. I, I, dude, I, I honestly think I'm gonna call it. Mark my words right now. Minimum five thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, dude. I think I think we're gonna. So twenty five hundred will go to a charity of his choice. Right. No, that would be totally awesome, man. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's a heck of a way for uh, a lot of lessons learned. If that if that comes to fruition, man, there's a lot of lessons to be learned there, and that's that's great stuff. Very very cool. Okay, so fast isn't so fast. No, I know. I sent him a text saying, "Hey, man, we're uh, we sent you an invite." While we're waiting, though, you know what today is? New Music Monday. Indeed, it is New Music Monday. What do you have for us? You got anything? So. Revisiting music of my childhood. 
Oh, cool. And when I say childhood, yeah, it's more like teenhood. And I went back to my skater days, man. Fugazi. Oh yes, yes. The song, the the album Repeater. Uh huh. I used to skate all the time. See, so I was the skater kid that went into rollerblades. Yeah. So hardcore skater, and then like rollerblades came out yep. with some influence and just started. But yeah, dude, Fugazi repeat. I hadn't listened to that album. I can't remember when. And I used to be the kid. I, I used to have dreadlocks. Right. Because right when skating was happening, I, I grew up my hair, super long hair, because I had the Texas mullet. Yeah, yes. And so I remember getting Thrasher magazine and seeing who was it? Somebody had like, it looked like dreads, but it really wasn't dreads. And yeah. so my mom owned a salon back then. And they had this thing that could, you know, make your hair into dreadlocks. And so I was like, I want that. So it looked like Vernon Reed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like dude. shaved around the side with these little like three inch dreadlocks on the top. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. You know what is crazy? You just mentioned Vernon Reed, who I actually met one time years ago. Um, oh, yeah. No, they uh, Living Color was playing. Uh, this was when they were on tour for uh, Vivid. And um, they were on tour. They actually came in. They played at Bowdoin College, which is right here in my hometown in Brunswick. And it was in the old uh, hockey arena that's not there anymore. They moved it. Um, they had, uh, God, I can't remember what. They had a, a band that opened up for them. I think it was Suicidal Dame, something like that. They were great, great opening band. But we hung around out the, uh, the exit behind the arena after the show was over, me and me and a bunch of other you know kids were hanging out, and, and uh, he and I think it was Muzz Skillins, the uh, bass player, came walking out after the show was over, and like he signed a bunch of our stuff. Really cool dude. Um, and what's wild is you mentioned Vernon Reed. It makes me think of I think it was uh, a couple weeks ago. I was talking about actually maybe it was last week that uh, I was talking about the guys from uh, SOD, how they were doing that version of Speak English or Die, but it was Speak Spanish or Die with Mike Patton from uh, Faith No More was singing with them. Yeah. And um, another another video that those guys had done, uh, like the SOD guys, I guess it was, or it was Charlie Benante, Scott Ian, and a buddy of theirs, whatever. And it was with uh, Corey Glover. Oh, Yeah. Corey Glover from from Living Color. I was like, holy mackerel, dude. I didn't even know that guy was still around. And these guys are all like, dude, I can't believe that we got to play with Corey Glover. He's so freaking Bob. He's the bee's knees. Like, they're freaking psyched, you know? Um, well, you know, so the, was, the, the crappy thing about Fugazi uh, and specifically this, this album was like, that's right when like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, you know, and there are just so many that the turnover. I love that one. I love skating to blueprint, uh, styrofoam. Uh, like those are great to me. Those are great songs, but yeah. And it's like, Oh, I, like I'll, I'll go outside in the garage and paint with that. And my, and Joaquin is like, what's on, what's this? I'm like, it's good gaming music. You should listen to it while you're gaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, that's crazy, Fugazi. I hadn't even heard that name in years. I know. I was like, I, I don't even know why I dealt. I think I was watching. Oh, because they're they're re-releasing Tony Hawk. Yeah, um, oh yeah. The 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 game stuff. Sure. And so I was like, oh man, me and my Joaquin could jam on this for a little bit, playing that game. Yeah, that, that's crazy because that's one of those bands that like I, there's a certain there's a certain demographic of bands that I always think about when it comes to Fugazi, like. You know, I think about a band like that, I put them in the same category as like Agent Orange mm -hmm. or Green Jello, um, you know, yeah. the Dead Kennedys and, and those those punk bands, you know, uh, which for me, that music has a certain place in my heart because it was a precursor to what eventually turned into thrash metal. Um, yes. 
you know, when you when you listen to SOD and that's straight thrash, there's an element of that that is straight out of punk rock music. Well, and, and um, Dead Milkman. Yes. My brother actually hung out with those dudes one time years ago. They freaking, they were playing, my brother was going to school in Boston and he went, he was a big Dead, Dead Milkman fan and he went to go see him playing live. I think they were on tour for like Big Lizard in My Backyard or something. And uh, they were, they, my brother hung out after the show and he ended up talking to like the lead singer or something like a couple of guys in the band and they ended up coming over to my brother's dormitory. <laughs> like, so here's my brother like hanging out in his dorm with the like dead milkman. <laughs> how does that, how does that even happen? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's because it's these, the quality of the band like that, a band like that's going to come hang out in your dorm. Yeah. You know, hey man, um, uh, when you're out on the road, you're trying to save money. You're not getting paid a lot. However, you can save money. Well, it's, it, uh, uh, dude, it's true. I mean, I remember when I was stationed out in Hawaii and uh, Filter came and played at the Marine Corps base there. They opened up for, like, Black Eyed Peas or something like that, I think. Um, and I ended up going backstage because the Marine Band was there playing. Like, we had the rock band playing and all this stuff. And I'm hanging around backstage, and I ended up hanging out talking with, like, the lead singer and, like, the guitarist from Filter. And I'm, like, inviting them to come up to our house up on the hill on bass and have beers and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, man, we'll totally come up there, whatever. And then they're like, yeah, we can't come up. Our manager says we have to go back to our hotel. Yes, there's <laughs> there's always the babysitter. I know. I was like, well, that sucks because we could have a good time hanging out and drinking some but, beers. But... but some of the bands don't have babysitters. No, I know. <laughs> I know. But uh, so my my contribution to New Music Monday, Whoa. man, I saw this video, and you probably know this kid, uh, Taj Ferrant. Do you know this kid? I'm going to have to. Uh, yeah, I, he's kind of, he plays guitar, has a. Yes. Has a little bitty dread, like, like not dread. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. Holy smokes, dude. This kid has got to be like maybe 13 years old. And I'm watching videos of him, man, and he's on stage with like Carlos Santana. Yep. I mean, he is throwing down and he's a kid. Um, and they had old, there were old videos of him, like when he was like nine years old. I guess I, I couldn't have been that. This was, this was. This video right here, nine-year-old guitarist Taj Varan wows the judges at Australia Got Talent 2019. So he's, he's only like 10. First of all, he's got a rig and axes <laughs> that are just would blow your mind. And, and he is on stage just, it's crazy, dude. Um, you know, I really thought, you know who, you know who it, he really made me think of when I'm watching these videos? He absolutely made me think of like he oh. is the new version of Derek Trucks. I, I ser think about it. I mean, Derek Trucks, who for folks who you know, uh, if you're familiar, folks out there who are familiar with the Allman Brothers, um, Derek Trucks was the nephew Butch, of Butch the Trucks for yep. the Allman Brothers, and back in like not, yeah, Butch Trucks. And, uh, I mean, Derek Trucks was, was touring yep. with a band when he was 13 years old. He, paid it, he, he played his first paid professional gig on guitar when he was 11. Um, and in 99, he ended up formally joining the, the Allman Brothers. I saw him live with the Allman Brothers back in, like, it must have been, like, 2004, I think, um, up in Northern Virginia, and he was playing with them. He's ridiculous. Yeah, and he and was not, that you child know, prodigy. And see, I, to me, he Yo. did it the right way, or if there was a right, a correct way, I I like the way that he did it. I shouldn't say right or wrong, because you've had you've had prodigies like that, Johnny Lane. Right, no, I get you. You know, J Joe Bonamassa. Yep. You know, you've had guys like that. That yep. you know, even even back in the day, like Wolfgang. Um, uh, Van Halen, you know, oh, he's the next guy. And then he kind of like, uh, not really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but that, when that was the thing, is that a guy like, and I, and I'm, and I'm not trying to, cause I really don't know. Well, I don't really know Wolfgang Van Halen from Shinola. Okay. 
but your sense as a fan and as a musician is that Wolfgang Van Halen is sort of like riding on his dad's coattails. And the only reason why he's on well, stage with see, Van Halen I, is because I would, he I could to be argue the guitarist's that son. Point. You know about Derek Trucks, but I'm I'm saying the talent level. I don't, I, and I maybe it's because I don't know enough about Wolfgang Van Halen. I mean, I he plays bass. I, I'm like, is he really that mind blowing? I mean, you're talking about Derek Trucks as a young kid who just has obviously this natural talent. Where even as a young teenager, he's out on the road. Oh yeah, yeah. Like and, he's and, going out and, on the road. With uh, you know, last night was. I, that's just, uh, Crazy the Lance Armstrong, the start of the Lance Armstrong documentary, and 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 last night, oh, I heard it was yeah. foretold that yeah, his his mom and dad would lie and create a falsify a birth certificate so he could compete at a younger age against men. And now, now the whole thing was is that he would win, right? But it's that it's that yep. mentality where his parents uh were like yeah it's okay to lie about this you know what i mean because competition and winning and sure yeah and so you know yeah it kind of leads towards the path that he went down and ended up you know ruining his career you know what i mean like but but yeah, that happens no, I, a lot with, with these sure. prodigies. Is like the parents push them in a direction so much that it's like, hey, this is the way you got pushed, and you know, how are you going to be as a as a professional musician and an adult at the same time? It just it, it's amazing. I think one of the things that blows my mind is watching. If you get on YouTube. And you start looking around for like kid Taz, there's what's his name? Kid, Taz. Uh, there are his name, but the viewers will. There's so many of them. There's so many of these young kids. There was one I was looking at today. What the heck was his name? Um, I couldn't pronounce. I couldn't pronounce his last name properly. Um, this kid was playing. He was playing the the solo. He's playing the solo from uh, <laughs> Dire's Eve by Metallica off of the Justice for All album. And I'm like, I mean, it wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but dude, I mean, this kid, he couldn't have been. Yeah, Jaden Tassishore. This is 10 months ago. He's got 2000 views on here. And this kid, man, I'm like, you look at him, he can't be more than nine. And he's got this, he's got this Gibson SG and he is shredding this soul. Shredding. (laughs) Like shredding the solo. Yeah, it's it's just these these kids blow my mind, man. Yeah, here this kid is on a this kid, Jaden Tatashore. Playing a Gibson Custom Shop historic flying yeah, beam. and a flying beam. I mean, is it, big. it looks like this kid just. It looks like his. It is a big guitar, and this kid <laughs> looks like the pacifier just popped out of his mouth, and, and he's and he's holding a flying V that he's about to go completely apy on. Just nuts, man. Just crazy stuff. So that's my contribution, folks out there. If you have not, if you if you're looking for something really cool to watch. Unique. Look up Taj Ferrant, and you know, or just get on get on YouTube and look up you know kid guitarists and watch some of these videos. And it, it they'll make you if you're a musician, they'll just these videos will make practice. you want to give up. <laughs> you, or practice. You're just like I'm 46 years old, dude. What what what? Why didn't the, you know this? These kids you're watching in these videos, you're like they're not playing video games. These kids are not like, you know, they're not doing meaningless stuff. They're just spending hours in their rooms At just playing and playing and woodshedding. It's crazy. Uh, who knows? We'll find out maybe if, you know, well, they can I don't keep think, their heads together. I don't think together. your guy's going to answer, man. Keep your head. No, nah, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen, man. I think we're, you know, we're probably going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. And, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll look out uh you know, like we say to everybody, you mentioned it earlier tonight on the, the, the show, 
Uh, if you're listening out there, if you've been a fan and we got your contact info, keep your head on a swivel because if you get that text message, jump on in. Uh, I don't think there's been a single person right. yet who's so, regretted it. I think so. Maybe we need to have the, the redemption. Uh, the experience. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll uh, we'll see what happens on Thursday. We have. Uh, what's I think the we last should have a sports update. YouTube Thursday, with Nate, so, uh, our sports update you know. with Nate. Hey, we could do that too. Absolutely. Maybe we'll reach out to him, and uh, you know, we'll talk a little. Uh, we'll talk a little sports action. We don't. A lot of don't lot of things often, coming up and, to uh, talk about too. You know, we don't do that often. And there are. We can talk about some of these. We can talk about some of these. Uh, we can talk about some of these silly, silly new rules that the major yeah. league ba- that major league baseball is implementing for COVID. <laughs> yeah, don't spit at home plate or you get thrown out of the game. Like, okay. Anyway, uh, so hey, for everybody who's listening, thanks a lot for checking in and checking us out. And uh, you know, like I say, we'll be posting on uh, we'll be posting at the end of the week with our, our next episode. All right, and tell your friends, tell your friend, family. Love Later. to lo- love that you're checking in. Thank you.